Hey, good morning and welcome to Breakthrough Walls. I'm Ken Walls and I'm your host. And I have a gentleman joining me today all the way from Seattle, Washington. His name is Sandy Golgart. And I'm pretty sure I said that right. Um, just stay with us. We'll be right back. Okay, we're back. Let's bring Sandy on. Sandy, welcome to the show. Thank you, Ken. Great to be here. Appreciate you coming on, man. Getting up extra early out there in Seattle. Just My pleasure. It's awesome, man. Yeah. So um, we already have some people joining us on the live stream. So, so Sandy, I, I created this show about two and a half years ago. I've interviewed over 300 celebrities and entrepreneurs and you know the the entire theme of this show is is your life story and how you've overcome challenges and setbacks and busted through and broke through those walls that were were trying to hold you back so that's what this is about to help people by hearing your story so why don't we start with where you were born and raised yeah i was born and raised in denver colorado nice grew up spent my whole uh, young young life uh, out in Colorado, went to the University of Colorado, played basketball there for four years, got married shortly after college, and then after a vacation down to Mexico in a hotel on the water, we came back, felt very landlocked, and we said, at this point in time, we really should figure out how to live by the water. And we <laughs> put our house on the market, jumped in a U-Haul on a specific date. Our house fortunately sold two days before we left, we drove out to Seattle, and now we live right here on Alki Beach. Wow. <laughs> Did, had you been to Seattle? We had. Uh, oh, we actually okay. looked in uh, Northern California, Southern California, and Seattle. We had a one-year-old at the time. It was somewhere between being incredibly brave and incredibly stupid. Um, mm. But we made it work. We had family here on my wife's side. Um very accommodating, loving family, very supportive. So it was, it made it really easy for us. Wow. So um, Seattle, by the way, we talked a little bit before the show started. Um, I used to live out there. I lived out there for a year and um, wow, what a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful area. And you know, the year I was out there, Sandy, I, I was like, I thought it rained all the time. Everybody's like, it rains. It's it didn't rain at all, like hardly at all. And people are like, yeah, um, yeah, we, we, the people that, that are from here, we started that rumor to keep people away. <laughs> well, I think there's some truth to that. I think when the sun is out, it's the most beautiful place oh, in the world. It, it is uh, amazing. It really is. There are four to five months where they really make you appreciate it when the sun does come back out. Yeah. And, uh, you yeah. definitely learn to appreciate it. <laughs> you do. Yeah. That that those are the winter months, right? That's right. Fall through winter kind of ish. It gets yeah. dark at about 4:15 in the afternoon. <laughs> That's that was that was crazy. Yeah. yeah. I, I found that a little bit crazy. But so, it's an amazing so, place. It is. It is. So and and you know, off the 
coast of Seattle. Am I saying that right? Off the coast of Seattle. Um, you can see whales once in a while out there. You can see them a couple hundred feet from our house. Oh uh, there's God. a pod of killer whales that actually live right here in the Puget Sound that travel up and down. And to oh. my surprise, as I learned about it, they actually travel and migrate more in the winter than they do in the summer through wow. this channel. Yeah, it's pretty cool. It's it's amazing. Yeah, it's so beautiful out there. So, um, well, there's recently been some events that maybe <laughs> lessened its beauty a little bit, but um, we won't go. We won't yeah. go too far down. It's a little chaotic <laughs> at the moment, but uh, yeah. we'll get through it. Yeah. So so um, so you grew up in Denver, um, which is another beautiful beautiful city um what was it like for you growing up out there and were you a broncos fan so growing up in denver was was amazing um yeah but you talk about early setbacks uh or you know early challenges try growing up in the schoolyard with the first name sandy and red hair you know that that gets you started right it's like you learn how to fight early yeah, or at least defend yourself <laughs> Right. So I remember early on, I heard things on the news about people like Sandy Grossman, who uh, did uh, football broadcasting, and then Sandy Koufax. And I said, wow, man, all these famous people who do really great things are first name Sandy. I must be destined to be do really great things. And I just made up my mind that, so there, that's what I'm going to do. Um, and of, of course, course, yes, I'm a Broncos fan. And we have uh, endured you know, so much. <laughs> but yet achieved so much at the same time. One of the few franchises that have won three Super Bowls, one yeah. of very few that have won back-to-back, -back, the highest of highs and the absolute lowest of lows, maybe not the lowest of lows, but some pretty low moments, yeah. uh, especially in Super Bowls. I, you but know, as a, as a kid, I, I got a, um, for whatever reason, my mom got me a Denver Broncos starter coat winter oh, coat yeah. and and um and by the way my buddy glenn morshauer he's i don't know if you know who he is but he's he's a redhead too he played agent aaron pierce on the tv show 24 for oh, okay. um, seven years he's 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 in in atlanta filming for a current show called the resident he, oh, he's great. on the resident but um anyway he's he's a redhead too so he can he can relate i'll probably see him at the annual meeting <laughs> But anyway, so I had this, I had this Denver Broncos jacket and I thought, well, I got the jacket. I, I, I can remember I was like six or seven years old. I don't know. I was like, I got the jacket. So I guess I'm a fan. And then something happened and I became a Steelers fan at a young age and I've never changed back. So Yeah. Well, um, I'm not to know what years those were, but there were a lot of things to like about the Steelers back then. It was in the seventies. Yeah. 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 It yeah was, they yeah. were. They were great. They were, they were, um, <laughs> look, look, I grew up with <laughs> and red hair. Oh my God. That's funny. So, so yeah, I think yeah, red hair, red hat's going to do, do great things, especially yeah. with the first name of Sandy. So, so, um, so you grew up in Denver. You went, did you, did you said you, did you go to college there? Yeah. University of Colorado played okay. basketball there for four years. Um, then graduated before we moved to Seattle. 
Did I see a Google a Google article about you winning some kind of a something? What was it I saw? I have to now. I have to go. It could have been the National Slam Dunk Championship. That was uh, it in, in that high was school. It. Yeah, did you win it. I did. Dude, how tall are you? Uh, six five. Wow, you won the National Slam Dunk Championship. Yep. Wow. Yeah, at Texas Tech University. Oh my gosh, man. Wow. One of the only things I like to remember uh, about being in Lubbock, Texas was winning that particular event. And I still have people that come up to me or will find me online and uh, say that they were there and strike up a conversation. And I just turned 48 uh, two weeks ago. And my promise to myself is that I will still be able to dunk after 50. So I had to go out in the backyard in the cold rain and uh, throw one down really quick and get it on film and make sure someone was there with the tape measure uh, just to validate and make sure I wasn't using camera tricks. Wow. So you can still dunk. Yeah. As of two weeks ago. Wow. <laughs> I haven't done it today. Listen, man, when you hit 50, the body starts doing some weird things, man. You better keep practicing. It's already started. Yeah. yeah. So, so you, you went to what was your so what did you um, major in in college besides basketball? Um, so I majored in uh, went to the business school there and majored in marketing. Okay, and you got out and you immediately were recruited by the NBA. Yeah, and the, no, I, I actually had a deal to go play professional basketball down in Brazil. Oh um, wow! And I don't know if you have. Or fan of Seinfeld, but you know uh, George had the the summer of George planned. Well, I grew up in Colorado, big skier, loved to ski. Got out of college where you couldn't really ski during the season; it was forbidden. And I said, "This is the one winter I'm going to go up to the mountains." I got two brand new pairs of skis. Couldn't wait to get back out. Oh, first no. day, first snow, October sixteenth, really early. We hiked up to the top of. Uh, uh, Pike or not Pike Speed, but the the divide, yeah, right, the Continental mm -hmm. Divide. Went from uh, the ice glacier to the fresh snow in early October, which is very wet, very heavy. Blew out my knee, and uh, had to slide to the bottom uh, on my back, carrying both of my skis just to get back to the car and get home. So, so that was the winter of Sandy, and it was. Uh, not very long. Oh man! So yeah. the the whole Brazil thing went down the yeah the mountain, so to yeah. speak. But that's okay. Glenn says he dunked a basketball on his 60th birthday, and then the alarm clock went off. <laughs> <laughs> so so um, wow! So you what what I mean what? went through your head what happened i mean i obviously that that killed the brazilian deal right killed the brazilian deal um and yeah. you know most everything works out um you know in the end but yeah i went back saw the trainers at, at the university of colorado who were fantastic they tested it said look you blew it out you need to do surgery tomorrow so wow. i did it rehabbed called the guy back uh, a year later told him i'd fully rehabbed was ready to come down there and he said you could be somewhat glad you didn't come down. The team folded. Everyone was stuck here. Had to get plane tickets home. 
Um, oh, geez. You know, and at that time, you know, professional basketball players down there were making like $50,000 U.S. cash. So, you know, yeah. it was a decent deal, but it wasn't like it wasn't like the NBA or anything like that. Uh, so you could made it home, but it was not uh, not meant to be. Wow. What, what I mean, <clears throat> so. I like I like this because you had you had to have had some sort of a um, an identity of I'm a basket I'm a national slam dunk champion here played played through college and now it's time to move on to the NBA it just seems like a logical order of things um, did th so that didn't happen I'm I'm gonna just assume that the NBA didn't pursue you no no. It, it wow. was so difficult to make it to that level. We, I played with a, a guy, Donnie Boyce, at the University of Colorado, who did go on play for the Atlanta Hawks and then the Harlem Globetrotters. Um, but wow. that is such a select few um, who get to do that. And um, so, no, that 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 wasn't even on my radar. My radar was to play hard, be on the floor, start for four years. When I knew I wasn't going any further. To, you know, NBA type aspirations. I started to focus on business, got obsessed with business, business books, finance, um, and just kind of turned that passion around and focused on, on other things. And the yeah. beauty and the crossover and where the two come together for me is in teamwork and leadership. And I've been on some great teams that we've won national championships and I've been on teams that finished last. And there's a very distinct difference between the culture, teamwork, the goals that people believe in, and then the, the sacrifice people on that collective team are willing to make to get there. And one of the things I talk about a lot with teams that I'm on or participate in is everyone says they want to win the championship. Everybody likes to aspire to that. Very few yeah. people want to do what it actually takes. Yeah, and it never just happens. And uh, you know, you know, know that probably as well as anybody. You have to go, put in the work, do what it takes, make the sacrifices, and then um, success follows. Yeah, after a lot of sacrifice and pain. Yeah, and you have to enjoy the sacrifice and embrace the pain. Yeah, you know, I think there's, you have to like that and know. You know, it's like a great workout or a great bike ride or a great hike. It's not easy. None of it's easy. And you have to internalize that the pain or the the fight, the adversity is part of the fun. And mm -hmm. if you don't embrace that, I think it's very hard to make it to the top of anything. Great show. Thanks for stopping by. <laughs> that, I mean, it sums it up, man. That's so true. Yeah. And people don't, I, I mean, well, I could go into a, uh, a, a diatribe about, um, hiring, hiring people. I won't do that right now. Um, cause you've been there, man. Like you, you, um, you know, that, that hiring people sometimes in today's world is a little bit challenging. That's an understatement. <laughs> <laughs> What do you mean by that? I mean, it is, it's incredibly difficult to find people with proven track record, the right 
um, culture for what you're trying to um, yeah. accomplish, um, the work ethic, the willingness to make sacrifice, and then to agree to, with and share in, I guess not necessarily agree with, but to share in your vision and where you want to go and be willing to make the sacrifices we talked about earlier. Um, that it's very, very difficult to do that. And then it's very difficult to not only make a business successful, but to bring people on, ensure that as you're mixing the pot and building a team and bringing in great people, that it's being successful, that people are embracing challenges and not getting involved in locker room chat, you know, about, uh, I wish this was easier. My buddy said it's easier over here. You know, if you work at this company, they pay for this, they do your laundry. You could go to the thing and I, maybe we should go there. They make more money. I mean, it, it, it is, it is, has to be the number one challenge everybody faces. You know, <laughs> they do your laundry. Oh my God. Are there companies that actually do their employees laundry? Well, I toured the Facebook campus, uh, and you could literally live there. They have wow. sleeping pods. Uh, you have uh, dry cleaning, any kind of food that you want. Um, I mean, it, and it feels like the main street of Disneyland. Anyone who ever gets an opportunity to tour, it's fascinating to do the tour just to be able to see, you know, a company, you know, can accomplish those kind of things and do that for their people. And then you want to talk about the war for talent. They have buses that will drive out to people's houses, bring them in on the express lane so that their commute works and they've got Wi-Fi on the bus. And what wow. those companies down there, because there's so many incredible companies and they're all vying for the best talent and that's the only real way to get ahead. They'll do wow. anything and everything to make it happen. It's the, my buddy Charles Coachman that's that's on here. He's a realtor down in the Silicon Valley. Oh, I, I, he knows. Yeah, he knows. Joe Ingram lives in Southern California. He he knows too. In California, you can't call a previous employer and get information about their performance or attitude. <laughs> wow, that that it's just it's it's I don't know some some. Can you imagine like? in college telling your coach the only way I'm playing for this team is if y'all are willing to do my laundry. <laughs> no. <laughs> I've had some people I played with where I wish they did their laundry for them. I mean, I, I let's talk about the, I, I'm just going to call it the, <laughs> I better, I better not. Facebook might shut me down here. Um, but I, it seems like there's a lot of, um, oh, geez, we've created a culture that's that, that some of these companies have a culture that's really, I don't know, creating a handout society almost like, you know, I, I agree with you 100%. And it, I think, um, one of the things that everyone I think also has to embrace. None of those things are possible if the business isn't working, right? right. No one's business plan started with um, cafeteria free food. Nobody's business plan started with, I'll, I'll do your dry cleaning for you. That's my business, unless you own a dry cleaner. All those things are to ensure the business is successful. And I think yeah. that is a 
key thing that everyone has to keep in mind. Um, and, and I think, you know, there's always that there's always a bit of a danger, whether it's with a company or a society, a city, when you lose sight of the hard work that needs to happen um, and you shift that to things should be easy, that to me is an immediate red flag. Um, nothing I've ever done um, that I appreciated the most was ever easy. There's always a degree of adversity. There's always a degree of pain. Um, and it's what makes you appreciate when things are, are better. Um, and I think, you know, that's a difficult thing, I think, to talk about, you know, and, and get everyone on the same page with, because right now, especially tensions are so high everywhere. Um, it's, it's very difficult just to center on that. But, you know, going through some things, having some adversity and coming out better is a good, good thing. Um, and that takes all different shapes and all different forms. Um, but it's also true, you know, with, with the businesses, you have to have something that works, you know, and, and early on, Amazon has the most amazing campus in the world. Early on, they had a tiny little retail spot on second Avenue in downtown Seattle and they're, they had doors as desks on cinder blocks. Right. You know, it right. wasn't that company. They didn't start as being, their goal wasn't to have these global cubes sitting out and free food and all these other great things that they do. It was, how do we become the best at what we do? And they made tons of sacrifices. It, it's a great place and a very difficult place to work. I know many people who work there and it's, it's a business first, you know, mindset. Yeah. Um, and they run it as efficiently as I've seen any business run it. I think, you know, I don't know if you've read Tony Shea's book on uh, uh, the founder of Zappos or no. Is Tony Shea, is that, or yeah, Zappos? Am I right? The shoe company in Vegas? Yeah. Isn't it Tony Shea? I, I think, I don't remember. Anyway, I have the book. I should remember that. <laughs> um, but, but, you know, he, cause he's got the um pod city in vegas like he's he's got all the the tiny houses set up and it's a little i mean we lived my wife we lived out in vegas for for almost a year or about a year and and it was it's interesting you know he's he's created a um it's and he's a great guy too and and he he's just created this amazing culture and you said that a little bit a little bit ago about culture that it, it does start with culture. So what what do you see some of these? Um, what do you see? And Seattle is it's not. I mean, I'm just going to be real, man. It's not like Ohio. <laughs> That's very real. It's it's completely it's completely different than Ohio. Um, but what do you see happening as far as across the 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 globe? Um, what are companies doing right to to build cultures and 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 become successful? Okay, I, I think that um, companies like sports franchises, like um, organizations, um, any kind of reform, they start with the goal, right? nobody's goal is to build a good culture, right? Build, great cultures happen because you have like-minded people who are talented, who want to contribute. They yeah. want to make sacrifices and they have passion for delivering 
the ultimate result. And that passion can be, we want to make the most money and the right people come together from all walks of life that really want that. They come together and for that purpose, they have a great culture. You have other people who are like, we really want to help solve this problem in this foreign country. And you get the right people who are passionate about that, that come together, want to make sacrifice and do what's necessary. And they have a great culture, probably two very different cultures, but very similar in the same way, the passion and what they aspire and want to deliver. Um, and I think companies that do that and they stay true to that. I think one of my favorite books that was introduced to from uh, another gentleman who's now in, in Las Vegas, Tim Sanders, was Authenticity. And I think authenticity, the companies who are doing it best have authentic product, authentic value proposition and authentic delivery of that. So if they say they're going to do something, they say they are something, it's transparent. They do it and they have however many people, it could be two, three, it could be 30,000 people behind them who share that and are working hard to deliver that. That to me is, I guess, the best summary of culture. And, you know, I saw this too. And one of the things that you will tell you what your culture is, is when the tide goes out, right? They say, well, COVID moved the tide out for all of us. And with our parent company, Allied Modular uh, down in Orange County, California, you know, we're a small division within that. But to see the way the people rallied and our goal through that was this is we don't know the extent of this. We don't know how bad it's going to be, but we want to keep everyone employed. That was our number one goal. We want to make sure yeah. we take care of each other. And then to do that, we have to make sure the business continues to move forward. And we set up with each division accountability um, and, and made sure everyone was bought into that as the purpose. And that got rid of a lot of different anxieties or kind of brought things to the surface so everyone could talk about them. Everyone could deal about what they were fearful of what they were excited about, where they thought they could help, where they may have some fear, but all, everything got brought out so everything could be dealt with and not uh, remain under the surface. And we, as a company, my company, Zones, we create freestanding modular suites, which is great for a booming economy when you've got open floor plans, people need different work environments, it's fantastic. When there's a pandemic that hits and everybody leaves the office, being in secondary uh, construction isn't necessarily the best place to be. And we had to rally internally and say, okay, if we're going to be a part of this solution, what do we need to do? We So we did a lot of research day and night, uh, very late nights, very early mornings. And we found out where companies needed to be met. And there were two things post COVID that had to happen. The first was you have to find ways to separate people both by distance and with barriers. And companies are also uh, needing to filter the air. If you think about air in the workspace, it's the most shared resource you have among anything sure. else, right? Yeah. So yep. if that's the case, you need something that blocks and filters the air. We brought that back to our engineers who have been doing clean room technology for 30 years, really bright individuals. And they said, look, the thing that's going to be wrong when people come back to work is with HVAC and other things, you're not protecting the space between people. That air is still shared. It might make its way up into the ductwork at some point, but you need something that blocks. So we came up with and created the clean zones panel 
which I would invite anyone um, listening in or that tunes into this to go to www.cleanzones.com to check it out. It's a truly innovative solution. And it's the only solution in the world right now that will actually provide um, blocking through a desk panel. And it has air filtration with UVC light, HEPA filtration built right into it. And it's doing amazing things for helping companies who need to get back to work. You know, you have call centers and others that truly need to get back to work right now. And they want to do it, but their first priority is keeping their people safe. So how, how do they do both? What's the and? How do I do this? And how do I do that? Um, and so bringing people back and keeping them safe by working with clean zones. We have tons of companies across the country who are able to do that and do it in a smart, responsible way where they can bring people back in waves, keep them separated, ensure the air is clean before it gets shared. It's pretty amazing. Let, let's, but let's back up a little bit and talk about um, let's go back to when you got out of college, you got injured, you went through the surgery, recovery, all that. What was the first thing that you did professionally? Like, what was the first job you had? Did you, <laughs> did you immediately start out as the CEO of something? Oh my or? gosh. Yeah. <laughs> the CEO, I learned really hard. I don't know if you could still see how sharp my teeth are from being cut. I went into life insurance business, no oh, wow. salary, eat what you kill. Yeah. I did that for three years. Um, and like I said, you know, we talked a lot about culture and different things that taught me some of the best lessons I've ever learned. And it was tough. I look back on it and go, God, why were you, why would you do that? Why would you have this great network and go to work where you don't even get paid? Right. You don't even negotiate a base salary, no. but I, I, at the time became enamored with with other things about it and i thought there were some interesting aspects i learned a ton and and i learned that you do have to work exceptionally hard and you have to be authentic and you have to deliver something yeah. um, for value if you want to eat <laughs> and, yeah. and so for three years and with the one-year-old and my wife you know that was the only option we had and that's a good way to learn that's part of embracing you know adversity i think then was I realized how much I didn't like what I was doing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, right. That was that Denver. Was that that was Denver? Yeah. And then, um, so you you did that for a few years. Where did you go from there? I mean that. So, and look, I mean that that's um, that is tough, man. And you, you're also learning. You, you better learn how to sell along yeah, the very way tough. too, right? Very tough. And you think yeah. about the companies we were talking about who do your uh, laundry for you. Yeah. This company, you would fly back to your annual meeting as a 23, 24 year old, and yeah. they made you pay. Yeah. Out of your own pocket to come to the company meeting. Yeah. And, I, and, and people buy into that culture. So that's yeah. a, that's a culture very different from Facebook, but sure. Uh, it works for them. <laughs> yeah. They're, they're a wonderful five star rated company. They're, yeah. I can't say anything negative about them. It just wasn't right for me. Right. So anyway, we fell in love with the idea of living by the water decided that was our primary goal and objective. We all bought into that. You hauled our way out. Um, and then it was like, now how do I make it? I knew I could work hard. I knew I could outwork the person next to me. So I got you know, any job that I could and just said, I'm gonna go work harder than anybody else. So I was in the office uh, with Sprint uh, at the time. This was back when we were selling frame relay 
the internet was just kind of coming out. Wow. Uh, you know, it was an amazing uh, time and wow. selling long distance. Remember that? <laughs> that was yeah. MCI Sprint, wasn't it? Was, that wasn't was it? Sprint at the time. Uh, and it, but again, it was one of those things that really made you kind of cut your teeth on sales. And so I committed to being in the office before all the gossipers got into the office and started chit chatting. And, yeah. and then I was out the door. I'd made my three appointments and I was out the door when they were coming in. And that wow. just kind of bred. Um, so I went to work with Quest, which is a great Denver company back at the time. And then got into the startup world um, and just kind of grew it grew it from there. I, I finally landed at the end of the dot-com crunch. I thought I should go into real estate. That sounds like a great place to be, um, that no matter what happens, that, that will be good. So I got yeah. into commercial real estate right when and the bottom of commercial real estate. It was in Seattle um, and the bottom just tanked. Um, <laughs> which again, taught me so many different great lessons making right. it through that. And I'll tell anybody, uh, especially that's listening today who might, you know, need to hear this, but um, that is the best time to earn advancement, right? Yeah. If you, a lot of people run the other way, but that's when your company needs you the most. And yeah. I advanced more during that downturn from 2002 to four than I have ever since. Um, wow. You know, I went from, kind of an account executive to area vice president, regional vice president, and just assumed all the responsibility and kind of said, hey, let's and, put this on my shoulders. And and this was in real estate? Yeah, it was through a company at the time called HQ Global Workplaces, which is a shared office um, okay. group. Yeah. They had the largest um, at the time, about 450 locations. This is wow. way pre we work and, and that sort yeah. of thing, then they were acquired by Regis. And because of that, Regis is by far IWG, the largest provider in the world. Yeah. They've got nearly 5,000 locations. And um, so throughout that whole time, uh, I had worked to do everything I could to help um, cut lead and lead from the front, right? Not follow and, and gossip and do those kind of things. And it was rewarded when Regis purchased HQ, there were 18 vice presidents all sitting in the same room across the US. And there were only going to be three that survived that acquisition. Wow. And I was the only one on the small fish side who got acquired to make it through that in that same level and capacity. Uh, and then had a great 16 year career with that company. With, again, with Regis? I, with Regis, wow. R-E-G-U-S. Yeah, I know. I know who Regis is. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's impressive. Yeah, that and was. Then, <clears throat> did they fire you? <laughs> Thankfully not. Uh, <laughs> they probably resisted every temptation uh, for sixteen <laughs> years, but somehow uh, you I, made was, it I was faster than the person next to me. <laughs> yeah. Um, wow. But no, I I got to a point there where. And, and this is just my own personality. I felt like I could do the job with my eyes closed. Um, I launched something new, which was their corporate um, workspace as a service um, initiative. We signed up incredible clients like Verizon. And I won't go into what we did for them, but we saved them millions of dollars on their real estate by getting rid of wasted space 
unused space is the most expensive space in your real estate yeah. portfolio. So we gave them where they were just going to pay for exactly what they were using, right? When they needed it and eliminate the unused unoccupied space. Uh, launched that really wanted the company to embrace that as a model. There was some fear internally about maybe that would skew and kind of put us too much at risk. And we just kind of got into this um, dead zone for about a year. And I just was like, I, I got to do something. I, I can't just sit and collect a check and not really grow this. And um, I found some other opportunities um, and with some great people and, and have learned a ton since then. And now being at Zones um, and a part of Allied Modular, really helping to help people make the construction process easier yeah. and be able to build and make that easy. Anyone who's tried to build understands how difficult it is to get a project done. And, you know, Allied and Zones, we've done a lot to um, really make that process easy. So it doesn't sound like you you were one of the people in the uh, Occupy That Zone of Seattle. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> no, I value my life too much to be a part of that. Uh, that was just insane. I mean, that all the way crazy. around. That was crazy, man. Yeah. Yeah. So no, I'm, I was, I'm kidding. You said, you said I couldn't just sit around and collect a check and not do anything for it. But so, so, um, so you don't own the company then I, I for some reason I thought you, you owned it. A uh, partial owner. Uh, oh, okay. Ownership, yeah. But okay. it is a division of a larger company. Gotcha. Out of which Orange I'm very county. thankful for. Yeah. 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 yeah right. Um, and so, so how long have you been doing that? Uh, so I came on board last July. Okay. This division was, um, not getting off the ground the way the, the CEO wanted it to. Yeah. And we came in, um, did some basic things, some fundamental things, got centered on what we really wanted to be. Yeah. And then had an incredible end to last year, a terrific run rate heading into this year really good three first months and then COVID hit and we had to find a way to adapt, reinvent ourselves, um, get focused on where companies wanted to be made. The, the yeah. interesting thing is we didn't try to force anything on anybody. We went out and learned where companies were being headed, what the real issues were, and then figured out how to use what we did to find something creative, innovative, that was authentic. And that's how we came up with clean zones. So, so, so tell me though, um, in layman's terms, I guess, try to try to explain for the average listener or viewer here, what, break it down as simple as you can. What do you guys do exactly? As zones? Yeah. So zones, we manufacture and build prefabricated freestanding suites or rooms. So whether you want a phone booth in an open floor plan so you can have privacy, whether it's visual and or acoustical privacy to make a phone call. You know, when you're sitting in a benching situation and you've got everybody right around, you might not want them listening into your phone call with a doctor or a problem your child might be having at school or, or a really important sales call or an amazing podcast you got invited to. You might want to go and take that in uh, one of the phone booths. And then we have conversation rooms, collaboration rooms, bigger meeting rooms, all of which you can order and have installed in just a couple of hours. And it's all pre-wired, UL approved, 
fully furnished meeting room and um, uh, collaboration spaces. So, uh, but who does it, who, like you just show up and drop this in the middle of a field? <laughs> no, in an open office. Oh. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah office space. Oh, I got you. Okay. Yeah. I was thinking, okay, in case Superman needs an extra phone booth in the, so, but the, so I'm trying to think where that would apply. I I've only been in, I was in New York, a, a company that I'm partnered with in, in New York in Manhattan. And I, and they, they have a WeWork space. Yeah. And, um, yeah, Joe Soto needs one of those phone booths in his home. <laughs> right. So, so, um, here's a great question for my wife. Does it have to be interior? It doesn't have to be, um, but our parent company handles exterior. They do like, if you go to the Facebook campus, by the way, and you look at the guard shacks, the people who check you in as you're coming in and out, allied oh. modulars built those and they built exterior um, rooms, negative pressure rooms, um, all sorts of things, two story um, spaces. So, Wow. So, so you, so like, for example, I was in the, the WeWork office in New York and I forget which floor it's way up in this, this, the sky rise building, but, yeah. um, and they had, it seems like they had things like that. Absolutely. But they had these little, it was almost like a, um, <laughs> this one part was almost like a Denny's. Like you would have these meetings and these little cubby things. And it, it was, I thought weird a little bit. Quite yeah. Frankly. It's, um, you know, it depends on the style that people like to work in. But again, you know, if you think of the open office, the reason the open office exists, uh, just really quick, 15, 10, 15 years ago, designers were planning for 250 square feet per person, right? If you multiply okay. that times market rents, yeah. uh, San Francisco, $85 a foot. Wow. That's a big number. So wow. if you can take that and get that down to 65 square feet per person, you're going to win big time on your balance sheet. Yeah. Um, so that's what companies did. So they created an open floor plan. That's how it was. They a lot of people disguised it as collaboration and other things, right? But yeah, right. The, the reason people sit right next to each other is not to collaborate. It's because finance said, we're giving you a third of the space we used to give you, but you'll love it. It's called collaboration. Uh, <laughs> <and> so, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so that that's how it got there. That's why it's probably not going to ever revert back. You won't see people spending that kind of money uh, on on office space, you'll see office space shrink. You'll see more efficient uses and better division, and probably a lot of clean zone panels. Yeah. <laughs> but um, so in that, what people learned really quick is they oversold the collaboration. People didn't have privacy. They couldn't get their work done, and different workers work differently. Some people need privacy. Some people right. thrive in chaos. You know, they don't. They put their headphones on. They crunch away, and they could care less how close they are or what's around them and they're just in the zone other people can't concentrate they can't get anything done they can't do any cognitive thinking with all this distracting so the best companies provide their people with the right space the right atmosphere um, and the right tools to do the job that they need when they need to do it for the period of time in which it takes to do that job well 
So that might be at an open desk for half the day. It might be inside a phone booth for an hour or two with some sales calls. It might then be in a collaboration room with your team to check on status and updates. And then it might be off to a Zoom call, you know, to, and then in the cafeteria to celebrate a big win. But having the, the right place to do the work that you need to do when you need to do it is the key to any productive uh, workspace environment. So where we come into play with that is some people need privacy, uh, some people need collaboration, um, but they don't need it all the time. And if you look at the studies and the statistics, the utilization rates of these shared rooms that we provide are almost two times more occupied than a personal desk that belongs to that one person. Why? Because they don't need to sit there all day, they need to do other things, but when they're gone, that's wasted really expensive office space that somebody's right. paying for that's not used very often. So when you can walk into a phone booth that's shared by 16 other people, um, it's easy to pop in and out and you'll find those are the most occupied resources on the floor. Um, and that's what companies are learning and that's what's created this massive shift and this movement in the commercial um, office environment is this move towards modular um, furniture because it's also ever adapting. Um, if you think of a company like Microsoft, they have over a hundred buildings on their campus alone in Redmond, Washington, a hundred physical buildings just to do the upkeep and the maintenance and renovation and TI work. That means they have to do, um, you know, every seven years, they have to do a massive amount of those buildings, you know, 10 to 15 of them. But that means 85 of them are left not updated. And so wow. you have some very dated um, buildings that just because of how difficult it is to do the construction, do everything else. And those teams are changing. They're in tech. It's very fluid. Yeah. Um, and so they have to find ways of, um, of keeping up and flexible, what we call phase two construction and bringing modular offices into the workplace allow you to keep up. You can do that in, in a couple of weeks with a few yeah. hours, no disruption, no dirt, no mess. And you leave on a Friday, come back on a Monday and your whole office has changed. You have all these cool modular places to go work. And, and you guys, so I, I would imagine that when, um, COVID hit and the lockdown occurred and the uh, all of the insanity that has ensued since then, you guys were probably like, um, everybody's working from home now and really don't need our rooms. <laughs> I, I would yeah. imagine yeah. like, and there, I, I truly believe there's still going to be a, a hybrid version of that. Um, <clears throat> And I'm sure I can't even imagine the conversations you guys have had, like, like, you know, that, that changed everything. Oh yeah. I mean, the statistics are different cities are anywhere from 12% to 35% back to work. Yeah. So that's the flip side of that is, you know, 65 yeah. to 85% not in the office and you go to downtown Seattle, everything's boarded up. It's very dead. Um, wow. And it's, it's kind of a scary time. It feels like, uh, you know, Armageddon just, you know, feels uneasy. Suburban is way different. Like, so 
people are not willing to go into very crowded spaces. They're right. not willing to use um, uh, shared public transportation nearly as much, but they, uh, they still want an office. They still need an escape. They need the ability to do the work that they need to do in an environment that's conducive. So they are finding, and if you look at the research that IWG puts out, their suburban uh, offices are thriving. Their yeah. occupancy is going up. More people are coming in and taking off the space. It's getting people into downtown that that is uh, proven to be a bit of a challenge. So paying attention to those things means it's just the needle is moving. Who needs our stuff? Where they need it? That part's changing. You know, we were putting stuff into downtown, you know, like crazy. That's yeah, where everybody yeah. was. That's yeah. where everyone was building these amazing campuses. Now nobody's there or very few. I should yeah right 25 percent. so you're like so you guys um i i really don't like the word pivot but you pivoted a little bit you you said yeah. wait, wait wait instead of closing up shop which would be an option i i would imagine <laughs> um I mean, I, how, what else do you do? You know, but what, like, so, so you, you decided, well, I'm going to, why don't we look at how we can create environments that, that where we're cleaning the air? Well, I think a really important thing that we did, um, and this is why I think the clean zones has been as successful as it has, is we didn't try to think what we could force onto people. Right. We spent a good month trying to figure out what people needed and what they were going to need on the back end of this. And that mm -hmm. became really clear in the research that people needed a way to help divide, um, phys physically divide, not the way divisions happening in other places. But how can we physically divide and with space divide people um, and de-densify workstations? And then how do you clean the air? And we knew that those were two big challenges. We also knew the HVAC was going to be very difficult to address these problems. And you had to find something that would address the clean air at the source. Then we said, let's go figure out how to solve this problem. Um, we did very rapid prototyping, tons of testing, um, a lot of late nights, early mornings, that kind of thing, and then launched the product um, with great success in July. But the upshot of that for our core business, if you will, is that it allowed us to take a, a deeper look at what, how could we improve our freestanding suites? One of the biggest problems in freestanding modular suites is the air, right? So we, by helping other people solve a problem that they need, we then take a step back and said, we actually helped ourselves equally. We're, so we're now the only provider who can put uh, an air filtration unit mount it inside those suites so that you keep the air fresh. You know, it smells uh, clean and crisp. Uh, it's constantly being recycled and filtered uh, and you can stay in there longer and you can make sure your cognitive thinking um, isn't suffering because you're using, you know, um, stale uh, air. Right, right. So it's helped and, us yeah, improve I our, our uh, core offering tremendously. Yeah, I, I remember again back to the WeWork thing where I, I was in New York. They they had some they had these something similar to what you're talking about um, as far as like conference meeting rooms and and they were kind of yeah. sealed off little little pods, I guess. <laughs> yeah. 
I don't know yeah. which, what you refer to them as, but so you guys, um, your company, I mean, you, you, you shifted, you, you, you saw, uh, and, and you looked at, okay, well, this is, this is going to be a problem. So how do we adapt and, and, and still provide a, a viable solution? Right. But yeah, I think, how do we help people? So right. one of the things that we had, we had tremendous experience with our engineers. We're building clean room technology, which is keeping rooms complete as disease free as they need to be. And as clean yeah. as they need to be for the work that needs to be done. There's nobody better to go to, to ask, how do we help people in this situation? And they basically told us, you've got to get at the source. You have to create the barrier. You have to create something that's then going to clean the air before it's shared. And by listening, it really helped us get that much further ahead in a much quicker time. Yeah. Um, you know, if had I tried to say what the world needed, <laughs> boy, yeah. we'd be in trouble and I probably wouldn't be talking to you today. Right. Uh, we right. really had to take the time to listen and, and do the research. Wow. So uh, things are going well then? Yeah, things are great. Um, we're hiring. I mean, we're actually, I saw some people from Atlanta tuning in. We're actually looking in the Southeast. Um, we're looking in the West and, you know, we feel like to some extent the world is on fire a bit. We have, we're selling buckets of water and yeah. we need pe more and more people to know about it and how we can use that to really help them, um, be productive, be safe and, and establish some more. Uh-oh. I, I lost Sandy. Don't know what happened. Well, I don't know what just happened. If he comes back, we'll bring him back in. Um, but I believe his um, internet may have may have taken a dive out there in Seattle. <laughs> well, that stinks. But we were at the end of it anyway, so um, I'll pop up Sandy's um, website, www.cleanzones.com. Make sure you go check it out and follow Sandy. He, I, I'm connected with Sandy on um, LinkedIn, so follow him at least on LinkedIn. And um, yeah, that's. I guess we're going to wrap it up with that. He is. He's gone, so... I think his internet just, just dumped, but, um, so cleanzones.com look up Sandy S A N D E Golgart G O L G A R T. Look him up on LinkedIn and follow him. And I will see you all tomorrow. Have a great day. Thank you so much. Appreciate you.